One of the most difficult moments that any human can experience is played out daily in cemeteries around the world. I recently experienced it in my own life. I stood at the grave of my mother. I watched as the final flower was placed upon her casket. The final mourner offered their final words of comfort. And it was then that the moment arrived, the moment when I had to turn and walk away from the grave, leaving behind the remains of someone I loved. You've been there. You know the feeling. You know the pain. What happens to a follower of Jesus after they die? Now, over the years, I've discovered that even the most mature Christ followers can be confused in this area. Some people think that we become angels after we die. Many a time, I've heard some well-meaning person try to make sense of a death by saying, well, God must have needed another angel in heaven. No, we do not become angels after we die. Angels are a completely different class of being from humans. Angels are different from humans like cats are different from dogs. Others seem to think that after we die, we simply exist as free-floating spirits, roaming the universe like some heavenly hobo. I remember preaching a funeral years ago where the worship leader broke into the chorus of Tom Petty's hit song, Free Fallen, during the worship time. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Now, if you believe the Bible, as followers of Jesus, we do not have an eternal skydive in our future. So what is our future? What does happen to us after we die? This is a question that has puzzled Christ followers for centuries. It was puzzling some of the Christians 2,000 years ago in the ancient city of Corinth. And as we continue in our verse-by-verse study of the New Testament letter to those Corinthian Christians, we're going to learn the answer to a major question they had when it came to the issue of life after death for a follower of Jesus. Now, the last time we were together, we learned what the Apostle Paul, a first century leader in the church, had to say regarding the reliability and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul taught that not only did Jesus return to life in a resurrected body after he died, but we also will one day return to life with a resurrected body after we die. Now, some of the Corinthian Christ followers had a hard time grasping the concept of a resurrected body. Paul knew this. He anticipated their doubts and their confusion, so he addressed the subject directly. We pick up his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 35. Paul writes, But someone will ask, Well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of a body will they come? Some of the new believers in Christ were still stuck in their old mindset. Some of these new believers in Christ had been raised with the ancient Greek understanding of the soul and the body. Now, the ancient Greeks taught that the soul is good and eternal, while the body is bad and temporary. Now, for those who had that view of the afterlife, death was the moment when the soul finally got to cast aside the body and be set free to soar in the heavens for all eternity. Well, that was the Greek view of life after death, and that may or may not have been Tom Petty's view of life after death, but that is not the biblical view of life after death. When we die as followers of Jesus, our souls do depart from our bodies, and our souls are then transported into the presence of God. 
Some of the Corinthian Christ followers thought that it ended there, though. They thought the story ended with our disembodied souls floating into the presence of God forever. But Paul taught that it does not end there. Paul taught that our disembodied soul in the presence of God is only stage one. Paul taught that in the future, our disembodied soul will one day be given a new resurrected body again. This talk of resurrected body sounded crazy to some of the Corinthians. In their minds, Paul was describing some kind of zombie apocalypse where decayed bodies were wandering the landscape. The whole concept didn't appeal to them in the least. A wife went to the local police station to report that her husband was missing. She brought her best friend along with her for support. Now, the officer asked the woman for a description of her missing spouse. Well, she said, he's 35 years old, he's six foot two inches tall, he has dark brown eyes, dark thick wavy hair, very athletic build, weighs 190 pounds, he's soft-spoken and is great with our children. The woman's friend nudged her and whispered, Hold on, your husband is four foot eight inches, he weighs a hundred pounds, he's completely bald, he's got a big mouth, and he's mean to your kids. The wife whispered back, I know, but who wants that guy back? That is how some of the people in Corinth were feeling when it came to their bodies. Death is when I finally get to throw away my old body, they were saying. Why would I want my old body back again? They were having a hard time grasping what a resurrected body would look and feel and act like. So Paul does his best to explain things to them. Someone's going to ask me, how are the dead raised? With what kind of a body will they come? How foolish, he said. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. So the first thing Paul does is offer an analogy and an illustration to help us with our thinking. Paul tells us to think of our body as a seed. Now, I have in my hand here a red maple tree seed. It's a maple key, as it's famously known as. Now, this is a simple key. It's a seed, and it falls down from the tree into the ground. And this seed then falls into the ground and eventually becomes a maple tree. We have a large red maple tree in our backyard. And I want you to know, it doesn't look like this little key. It's a huge tree with huge leaves and a huge trunk. So how did this little maple key become that huge tree? Well, that's the beauty of nature, the beauty of God's creation. When you place a seed in the ground, the seed doesn't just expand and get larger and larger and larger. No, in a very real sense, this seed will die and undergo a transformation. Paul says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. So Paul is saying, as a tree differs from a seed, so our future bodies will differ from our present bodies. A seed isn't merely a miniature tree. A seed is very different from the tree that it will become. And Paul tells us that there's a similar dynamic taking place when it comes to the body that we place in the ground versus the body that will be raised up from the ground. 
Well, Paul then transitions away from the realm of plants and into the realms of biology and astrophysics. He says, now, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and stars another. The stars differ from stars in splendor. So Paul is telling us that God gives different qualities to different bodies. So whether we're talking about fish that dwell deep in the ocean, birds that soar high in the atmosphere, or planets and stars that populate the universe, God provides a body that fits the environment. So then, what kind of a body will we have in the future environment after we die? Well, according to the book of Revelation, the last book in the New Testament, our eternal future is not some ghostly existence on some heavenly cloud. No, our eternal future is an incredible mixture, a hybrid of a very supernatural existence in a very physical world. Followers of Jesus are not going to spend eternity on some fluffy cloud in the heavens. No, followers of Jesus are going to spend eternity on a brand new physical earth. Well, what kind of brand new body will God provide for us for our life on this brand new physical earth? We'll keep reading what Paul writes. He says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. So the bodies that will be provided for us in the future will be a vast improvement over the bodies that we have in the present, according to Paul. And to emphasize this improvement, Paul provides a comparison between the influence that Adam has upon us and the influence that Christ has upon us. And in doing so, Paul is describing the two realms that every Christ follower dwells in. We dwell in the physical realm with its ties to the first human being, Adam, and we also dwell in the kingdom of God with its ties to the first one raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. So contrasting these two realms, Paul writes, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Now, by the way, when Paul uses the word spiritual in this letter, he's not using it the way 21st century people tend to use it. He's not using it in the sense of something that's otherworldly, like she's so spiritual, she talks to aliens. That's not what Paul means when he uses the word spiritual. When you read the word spiritual in this letter, put a capital S in front of the word in your mind. When you see the word spirit with a capital S, that tells you that the writer is not referring to just any spirit, but to the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is meaning when he uses the word spiritual in this letter. So then, when Paul describes a spiritual body, he's describing a body that is influenced and ruled by the Holy Spirit as opposed to a natural body, a body that's influenced and ruled by our physical desires. If there's a natural body, he says there's also a spiritual body. The first man, Adam, was of the dust of the earth. The second man, Jesus, is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. 
as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So Paul is saying what's placed in the ground is modeled after Adam's natural body, but what's raised from the ground is modeled after Christ's resurrected body. What was Christ's resurrected body like? Have you ever thought about this? When Jesus rose from the dead, he had a physical body. He, he ate fish. Uh, he ate meals with, with the disciples in his resurrected body. He, he interacted with them. They touched his body. But at the same time, his physical body could appear and disappear at will. Think about it. The Gospels describe the one day when the disciples were all in a, in a room, and the Bible says the room was locked, and then Jesus suddenly appeared in this locked room. They were trying to communicate that he didn't come through the door. He suddenly just appeared. But it was a physical body where he ate fish and they could touch him, but it was a body that was supernatural in the sense that it appeared, disappeared, and then it even ascended up into heaven. That's the kind of body, Paul says, you and I are going to have someday, like Christ's body. Alluding to the future state of every believer in Jesus, author C.S. Lewis once wrote this, I quote, he said, the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. I mean, this is exciting. This is literally life-changing. And this leads us to an obvious question. So when and how will all of this take place? Paul directly answers that question. Look what he says. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to Christ followers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Let's pause there. Paul begins his answer to the when and how questions by informing us that it will happen in a supernatural way. In other words, this is not something that any mere mortal can expect to experience. You can't remain in your present body, in your present state, and expect to experience all that God has for you. Presently, God is daily transforming you within your heart and mind, in your soul, but there is one final outer transformation that will need to take place. And that final outer transformation is a God-ordained supernatural experience. Paul tells us more about this final bodily transformation. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. By the way, the word Paul used here for mystery is mysterion. It was the ancient Greek word tied to secret societies with secret initiation rites. Used in the New Testament, it means something that was previously hidden but has now been revealed. So Paul is saying, when it comes to being given our new resurrected bodies, it's going to happen in a way that has never been seen in human history. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. The word sleep in the New Testament often refers to death. So then, when it comes to how we will be given our resurrected bodies, Paul says it is going to happen to all of us, but it's not going to happen to all of us in the same way. For some, it will take place in the grave. For others, it will take place while they're still living. It all depends upon when, on the timeline of human history, the final resurrection will take place. Listen to how Paul describes this same event 
in a letter he wrote to the church in the ancient city of Thessalonica. To them, Paul wrote, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, those who are died, who have died as Christ followers. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, who are still alive when Christ returns, we're not going to precede those who have fallen asleep, meaning we're not going to be resurrected before the dead. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will then be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, depending upon when it happens, some people will receive their resurrected bodies after they die, the dead in Christ, and others will receive their resurrected bodies while they're still alive. It won't happen to all of us in the same way, but it will happen to all of us. We'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Paul then adds even more detail. Look what he says. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. So Paul informs us that it will be a sudden, supernatural, eternal transformation. Have you ever been talking to someone or reading a book or, or watching something on TV and all of a sudden your eye twitches? I mean, you get this sudden, unexpected, out of nowhere eye spasm and you think, well, that was random. That is the experience that Paul likened to receiving our new resurrected bodies. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, literally like a sudden eye twitch. Paul informs us that this sudden twitch will be accompanied by the last trumpet. Now, the phrase, the last trumpet, is Jewish code for the return of Christ. Paul is telling us that this resurrection of our bodies will take place at the return of Christ. Jesus promised us that at some point in the future, he was going to return to the earth to once and for all judge the world and set up his eternal kingdom here on earth. Paul informs us that it will be at this promised return that we will receive our new resurrected bodies. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, he said, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and when the mortal has been clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Well, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And with these powerful words, Paul informs us that the resurrection will be the final stage in God's restoration process. You see, there's kind of three stages to human history. There's the first stage of creation. God created humanity to be in relationship with him. But then we rebelled against God's creation. We rebelled against God's design. We were separated from God. Sin was introduced into our soul, into our very bodies. So after creation came separation. And we're living in this realm of separation when our souls are separated from him. We're separated from a relationship with him. 
And then came restoration. That's when Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless, perfect life. And he paid for our sin. He paid for that separation. And he himself died because that's what uh, sin brings. The wages that sin pays is death, the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus died in our place. He paid our moral debt. But because he himself was sinless, he rose from the dead with his resurrected body. And he offers to cleanse us and forgive us and to restore us. Have you accepted this gift yet, by the way? If you haven't, you're going to have the opportunity to do that in just a moment. But if you have accepted this gift, then you are on the restoration journey, meaning your soul has been restored. The Holy Spirit has come to live within you. But this restoration is, is not yet complete in this realm, on this earth, in this life. We are being renewed inwardly, but outwardly we're still wasting away, the Apostle Paul said. Inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. Outwardly, I'm still being wasted away. I'm still um, getting weaker and weaker in my body. But this resurrection of the, of the body is the final stage of God's restoration process. So Paul informs us that the resurrection will be the final stage in God's restoration process. And he then concludes his teaching on the resurrection with some final words of encouragement. Look what he says. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I mean, let's face it. It can be a challenge to live in this world. It can be a challenge to live in the realm where hope and despair dwell side by side. A realm where we're separated yet restored at the same time. You're watching and you're undergoing a lot of pain in your life perhaps. Physical pain, mental pain, maybe even emotional pain. And that pain can overwhelm us at times, can't it? That, that pain can, can cause us to doubt God, to doubt ourselves, to doubt reality. Maybe you've had experiences in your life where, where you're just struggling and, and emotionally, mentally, physically, you're run down, you're worn down, and you're ready to give up. You're a follower of Jesus, you love him, but you feel distant, you feel confused, you feel like giving up. Sometimes life can shake us to our core, can't it? Sometimes the pain of this world can threaten to topple us. Sometimes the pain in this life can tempt us to give in and give up. In such moments, Paul tells us that the promise of the resurrection inspires us to press on in life. My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you can know this, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is not all for nothing. God is at work. There's a great future. And this brings us to today's life hack, today's practical solution to an everyday problem. And here it is. When the trials of your today stress you, let the truth of God's tomorrow strengthen you. When the trials of your today stress you, let the truth of God's tomorrow strengthen you. So what are you facing? What's stressing you as you sit there today? What's threatening to overwhelm you at this moment in time? Stand firm in the knowledge of God's ultimate victory in your life. 
Stand firm in the knowledge that God's restoration and resurrection power is active in your life today and in the days to come. So press in, press on. Know that your trust and your labor in the Lord are not in vain. Let's pray together. God, we lift our lives to you right now. You know each of us. You know our individual needs, our fears, our failures. You know the struggles that each of us are going through, the doubts, the anxiety. You know everything about us. In fact, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, you know us completely. Before words on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. You see our fatigue. You see the weariness of many people who are watching right now. And in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray your power, your strength would flow into them, through them, would rest upon them right now in the name of Jesus. I pray your peace would abide in them. A peace, the scripture says, that is beyond our ability to comprehend it. It's beyond our understanding. We receive your peace and your power right now. Your resurrection power already dwells within us. You're restoring us from the inside out. So we look forward to that one day when that restoration will be complete on the day when you return. Until then, strengthen us, empower us, be with us, I pray. Perhaps you're watching right now and you've not yet received this resurrection power in your life. You've not yet received God's forgiveness and cleansing. If you'd like to receive that cleansing, if you'd like to take that step to become a follower of Jesus, just pray this with me right now. You can pray it with me as I'm praying it or, or, or just repeat after me out loud or just agree with me as I'm praying. Father God, I thank you that you know me. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you came to earth, that you died in my place, you paid my moral debt. I thank you that you rose from the dead, triumphing over the grave, triumphing over sin, even my sin. And I choose to accept your offer of cleansing and forgiveness. Spirit of God, come and live within me right now. Change me from the inside out. Begin to transform me, cleanse me. And give me the courage to tell somebody about this decision before my head hits the pillow tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer with me, congratulations, you're now a follower of Jesus. And the best advice I can give you is to text the number on the screen right now. On the other end of that number is one of our pastoral staff members, and they'd be happy to respond to your text. We're not gonna phone you, we're not gonna email you, we're not gonna put you on a mailing list. We'll just text you back and offer our services to you in any way that we can to help you take the next steps in your journey. God bless you. Thank you for being with us at Broadway Church today. I hope you join us next week as we conclude our Life Hacks series. Thanks for being with us at Broadway Church.